is that people don't necessarily want you to succeed. <laughs> Even the people closest to you, like your best friend may not be that comfortable with you having a six pack. Your, your friends from, from university or high school or your coworkers, they don't really want to see you thrive because it calls into question their life and whether or not they're living right, and whether or not they're making the right decisions. And it sucks and it's not, you know, it's not something that, that, that people like to think about, but there's a lot of people in your life right now that pretend that they want to see you do well and they really don't. And it sucks, but it's true. Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Welcome to the Body Mind Empowerment Podcast. I'm your host Seamland, and our guest today is Sean McCormick. Sean is the host of the Optimal Performance Podcast by Natural Stacks, and he's also a life coach, biohacker, and human optimization enthusiast. Sean, welcome to the show. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, like uh, a few a few weeks ago, I was also on your podcast, and uh, the question you asked me first was uh, what did I put into my body <laughs> up until that point of like what I had I consumed? So I'm going to throw it back at you and ask like what have you been consuming uh, so far for this day? Yeah, I should have expected, uh, should have expected this question. Um, so far today, uh, you know, it's 9.30 my time. And what I've had is I've had two cups of coffee with uh, heavy whipping cream in it. I've had um, two droppers full of olive leaf extract, two droppers full of ashwagandha. I've had um, a dose of lion's mane mushroom supplement. I've had a dose of reishi supplement. I've had the Natural Stacks flagship nootropic Siltep. I've had a dose of acetylcholine brain food vitamin d3 uh i think that's it mm. yeah <laughs> wow wow that's 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 a whole concoction there right there and uh, full of nootropics and other stuff is it like a tincture like the ashwagandha and such the ashwagandha and the olive leaf extract are both yeah tinctures everything else is uh is uh capsulated Mm, that's uh, that's pretty cool, <laughs> and yeah, a lot of a lot of people don't uh, tend to get a lot of their micronutrients e even in the you know the later parts of the day. So you kind of tap it out right in the first hours of the day. So, <laughs> well, I've no, I've I've understood now my body and my biology well enough that I really need to be effective in the first half of the day. You know, I I I stay fasted for the first half of the day. I take all my most of, you know, I take my morning stacks because that's when I'm my best. By like two or three o'clock, especially as you know, in these northern latitudes, I don't know how far north you are, but it starts to get dark in Seattle at like 4.30. And so at that point in the day, you know, I start a fire in the fireplace. Uh, my family come inside, we play cards, we relax, we chill out. And so uh, we eat an early dinner. So, I you know, from... From 7 a.m. until 2:33, 4 o'clock at night, I, I want to get as much work done as I possibly can. And so I, I yeah, I load up on the on mm. the front end for sure. Yeah, yeah. How did you get into you know the, this kind of a biohacking thing, and uh, how did you end up with the uh, Natural Stacks podcast? Yeah. So 
I opened sensory deprivation tank centers uh, back in 2012. Float, flotation therapy, uh, isolation tanks. You know, I know a lot of a lot of your viewers are gonna are gonna know what those are, and. I was interested uh, in meditation. I've been, I've been meditating since I was 12 years old. My, my folks taught me transcendental meditation when I was a kid. And so I've always been curious about consciousness. I've always been curious about altered states of consciousness. You know, I'm an advocate of, uh, of psychedelics and, and ceremonial uh, practices. And so I've always been fascinated about how the brain works, but also how my brain works. More specifically, how can I reach states of consciousness where I can be my absolute best uh, at any given situation. And when I opened these float tank centers, um, we carried the natural stacks products in our retail. And uh, at that point, that was when I was, that was back in like 2011 when I was really starting to get into biohacking um, for, for, for human optimization, longevity. And, and since I was a fan of the products, I developed a relationship with the company with natural stacks and, I was a champion and advocate for the company in the beginning. And then um, I was like the third or fourth guest on the original podcast with the original host. And then when he decided to move on, they said, Hey, Sean, why don't you just take over? And I said, Hey, you know, I've never done a podcast. You know that, right? And they're like, yeah, but you'll figure it out. So, so I did, I figured it out. And now, you know, 50, 56 episodes later, it's weekly. It's, it's, it's doing really well. And, um, and, and now it's a full on lifestyle. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. You mentioned that uh, your parents taught you transcendental meditation, which is like, I would imagine that's so fortunate. And uh, it's one of those things I would have wanted that I was, you know, taught as I was a kid as well, as soon as possible. And to, to learn how to dis disassociate yourself with, from your mind and to kind of develop this sort of more self-awareness and such. So you, I would imagine that you, you, you also feel quite fortunate about it. I do. Yeah. I realized that it was a pretty unique opportunity. I hated it in the beginning. I couldn't stand it. The fact, you know, I've, I've, I've always, you know, I tested positive for ADD and ADHD when I was a kid. My folks never put me on, on medication though. Instead they put me on a cushion on the floor. Yeah. And, um, that's the first time I've said that. I, I, I like that. That actually works really well. Um, they decided to, to, to harness my energy as a child into activities that would be beneficial to me. So like lots of sports, you know, acting, choir, you know, I did combat sports when I was a little guy and, uh, and, and still it wasn't sufficient to burn off all of the energy that I had in my body. And so they turned to, to, to TM and they were taught TM in college and they weren't daily meditators, but they did use it on demand. When they were fried, they would, they would go into a room and shut the door. And, and at, at that point, me and my brother knew that it was time to be quiet in the house because my folks were, at least one of my parents was meditating. So when they taught me, I hated it in the beginning. Like, hey, Sean, stop, uh, you know, stop running around in the backyard, come inside, and, and we're going to sit quietly. It was like my worst nightmare. It's the last thing I wanted to do. And I hated it for, for a long time. I did it begrudgingly. And then eventually I got to a point where I, I sort of had, I had one experience. I've, I've, since then I've had lots of these, um, but I had one experience where I, I, it clicked for me and I, my body felt relaxed. It felt heavy and blissful and my brain was present 
and I got some visuals, you know, I saw some fractals and some geometric shapes and some, um, you know, behind the, the, behind my eyelids, I had these interesting visuals. This is probably, I was probably 12 or 13 when the, when this first happened. And then I got it from there. It was like, mm. Oh, this is, this is why, this is why this is beneficial. And then I, when I, when I finished my meditation, I felt really calm and relaxed. And for the first time I, I sort of understood the power of, of being able to control, um, control the mind a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, like aside from all the uh, let's say spiritual component, as well as the uh, the the all all of the organizational part of TM or the cult-like uh, type of uh, things of TM, I also like to think that uh, the mantra-based meditation is one of the easiest and most effective way of inducing this meditative state, and is very simple to uh, do, especially for children as well. I would imagine it's, it doesn't require any any additional training beyond like the first uh, course that you take and uh, it's like really really uh, fast results come from that as well yeah mantra based meditation yeah it is i I believe you're right it's the simplest thing just go back to the mantra go back to the mantra versus you know vipassana where you're visualizing you know being washed over and watching the breath and the nuances between like feeling the breath entering your nostrils and being present with that, like that's, that's pretty abstract versus like, here is your mantra. This is what it is. And I, and, and I don't know how much you know about TM, but um, you know, you are given a mantra. Uh, and that's one of the, that's one of the, the bigger problems that some people have with it is that you have to pay to take this class and you basically have to pay to be to receive a mantra. And my, and my father just gave me one. Um, and, and yes, when you have, when you know that you need to breathe and say this thing over and over and over and over and you're thinking about, you know, whatever, Spider-Man, and then all of a sudden like, okay, back to the mantra, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot simpler, yeah. Yeah, yeah like I, I actually did my bachelor's thesis in anthropology on TM, so I, I have oh, to- wow. I, yeah, I have, I have taken the course and I have practiced it quite, quite a lot, so. <laughs> nice, do you- uh, do you do you tell people what your mantra is? No, I haven't. I haven't told. Nice. But but I th- I don't think I don't I think it doesn't matter. Like it's simply the aspect of uh, repeating something and then kind of going into this repetitive motion that distracts the mind from your own thoughts and that allows your mind to go into this more of soothing state that is less anxious and less uh, distracted. So to say, it doesn't have to be. It you can re- repeat you know whatever type whatever type of two syllable word. Uh, like I am, I am, or nature, culture, whatever it is. But uh, the idea of simply repeating it, eventually becoming uh, so repetitive, that's that's the where the magic sort of, has, sort of happens. Yeah, well, and, and, you know, not to necessarily go esoteric, it just happens to be the things that I'm interested in is, you know, that, that uh, there's, a, there's an alchemy, there's a, there's a, there is a, um, there is a transformative, power to go back to something that you have charged up Hmm. if you have done the work to charge up a mantra or a talisman or an affirmation it's like this is or an anchor of some sort this is meaningful to me this is what this thing means okay cool when i go to it it's going to activate this thing it's going to it's going to redirect or it's Hmm. going to you know transmute or alchemize something and there is there's a massive there's a massive power in that that's cool i didn't realize that uh, i didn't realize that you were that familiar with it yeah, like you mentioned that there's this like sort of an anchoring aspect, so to say. That's that's a lot of like in uh, a lot of athletes also, you know, work or that's how they perform. They do have like these sort of rituals or habits 
that put them into a certain state of mind by will. For instance, they, let's say like some sort of a power lifter, the way they hold the bar, that's going to dictate how, they're gonna, how their nervous system is also going to start firing when they actually lift the weight. And uh, like that there's no, there, there is like sort of a neuroplasticity happening when you do certain things and you develop these habits into your brain <laughs> and you build certain yeah. neural patterns. So it's not just woo-woo, it's, it's uh, all actually quantifiable and it's all actually happening in the brain all the time. Yeah, no, you're totally right. I mean, you, you can watch, um, you can watch somebody taking a penalty kick. They've got a system, they've got a way that they do that. You know, for um, a couple of my uh, um, coaching clients, uh, are NFL athletes, uh, football players, uh, American football players. And uh, one of them is a kicker. And um, you, can, you can picture the kicker. They've got the same, same process every single time. They line up on the ball. They point at it. They take, you know, one, two, three, four, five steps back. They take two to the side. They line it up. And what, what I've found is, um, is that – most athletes and, and even high performers that are not athletes, you know, I, I would, I would probably consider you in this, in the same subset is, you know, what we are not very good at is getting rid of, um, having a system to let mistakes wash away. We have a system to take the kick. We have a system to do a podcast. We have a system to get into meditation, but if something's not going well, how can we purge that? Right. And so, um, that's one of the things that I worked on with this kicker was like, if you miss, and there's, and of course there's a ton of pressure uh, with every kick. Uh, if you miss what, what's your way of like letting that wash away? How do you let that not stay stick with you? And so we would work on certain breath work and visualizations to like, let that stuff go. So that it didn't affect the performance going forward. It's fascinating stuff. Yeah. Like, uh, like people tend to get, they, they, they get caught up with their failures and past mistakes so much that uh, they're going to prevent themselves from taking future action altogether, so to say. Like, uh, I would imagine like a lot of uh, guys who don't you know, succeed in picking up women or something, then eventually they stop uh, trying altogether because they develop this sort of a past reference experience and they think that they're going to not succeed at all and that there's something wrong with them. Whereas in reality, they simply quit too, too soon and they didn't uh, develop the right uh, kind of skill set to keep going. Yeah, they carry that narrative around with yeah. them. Or even like, like people, oh. or, or people who are trying to lose weight, they, you know, binge on one day and they say, hell, to hell with it, I'm going to start eating Cheetos all week and I'm going to, you know, fall off the rails for an entire week and I'm going to, you know, jeopardize all of my progress altogether. So, yeah, it's a fallacy, you know, it's, um, it's, a, it's a way to get into your own head um jumping to conclusions like i messed up now i had i had a bite of a cupcake i might as well eat 10 cupcakes because yeah. what's you know it's yeah. like yeah it's tricky yeah. You, <laughs> mean, you mentioned that you do, you're doing coaching so i would imagine that and you also said that this is one of the biggest kind of hindrances people tend to deal with so how would you go about uh, dealing with it and you know breaking those sort of chains yeah uh like specifically when it in terms of like um, dietary stuff like keto and fasting and that sort of thing like human performance um yeah yeah like let's take for instance like fasting for example and uh let's say people who who, who want to start doing intermittent fasting or keto then how can they you know cause this sort of a shift in their behavior and habits to uh to make it sustainable and and uh, actually you know actually start doing it yeah 
The first, the first thing you can do is slow down. Um, and it's the hardest thing because we, our pace of life is crazy right now. And we are expected to, most of us, wake up and start looking at our phone. Uh, and that increases um, inordinately our cortisol. It sets the pace for the day. It, it puts us in a state of fight or flight from the get-go, which is even more so than we, than we really need. And in terms of sticking to a fasting protocol, sticking to a dietary protocol, like right now I'm eating uh, the carnivore diet. Mm. So for the, the whole month of January, I'm eating nothing but animal products. And so I'm whatever, 15 days in and yeah, uh, there's been a lot of times where I've wanted to eat a carrot or, you know, a Jolly Rancher or, you know, have a, my wife made cookies. She's torturing me. She made cookies last night with the kids. And I'm like, what are you doing? But the thing is, is like the, the, the first thing that you can do is just slow down and, and not act impulsively. Mm. Um, and, and the best way to do that is to just change your posture when you notice that you've got these urges whether it's to eat a thousand cookies or um, whatever, is to just, uh, what, what I do is I change my posture. So if uh, what I found is, you know, I'm sort of like, like Gollum from the Lord of the Rings, you know, sometimes, and it's like my, my shoulders are arched over and I'm looking at the cookies or looking at the cookies. And uh, I'm thinking, man, I really, really want to eat those cookies. And what I do, is, that was a pretty good Gollum, actually. Yeah, <laughs> What I do is I, I stop. I sort of um, this this is this is sort of this is sort of like a um, a neurolinguistic programming technique. Hmm. Uh, it's called a pattern interrupt. So when I notice that I'm goleming over these cookies, the thing that I do is I change my physical posture. So I sort of like step back. I bring my shoulders back. I slow down, and then I take a big deep breath. And then at that point, I've conditioned myself for such a long time um, to recognize when I'm about to do something that I'm going to regret, flipping somebody off in traffic, eating a thousand cookies, you know, snapping at my kids or, uh, or, or, or avoiding work. What I do is I just stop. I change my posture. I bring my shoulders down and back. I take a big, deep breath down to the bottom of my diaphragm and that alone gives you just a second to, to, to watch yourself, to see like, okay, cool. I'm doing this thing. I made a, um, a clear, sober, conscious decision to eat keto. Mm -hmm. I've made a clear, conscious decision to fast. And I'm skipped, I've skipped breakfast. I go into the office and somebody brought donuts. Again, I can look at the donuts. I can say, okay, I'm about to do something stupid that, I don't, that, I, that I'm going to regret change my posture, bring my shoulders down and back. And there's some, there's this activation that happens, not only when you change your posture, that it's like, okay, I feel healthy. I'm getting all the oxygen that I need. And then I can make a conscious decision. Okay, do I still want to eat seven maple bars? Or do I get a drink of water? And then I go back to my day. That, that is the most powerful thing. Another, another way to take that a step further is if, if it's, you know, if there's, if there's even more pressure is to ask yourself this question. And this is something that I give to all of my coaching clients, uh, which is to ask yourself this question, does this serve my highest purpose? This can apply to everything. The examples I gave earlier, 
does this serve my highest purpose to do this thing which I am about to do? And your intuition, your subconscious mind, if you've been, if you've been doing the work, knows like, no, dum-dum, no, you should not eat seven maple bars. Mm. Um, sometimes it's, does this serve my highest purpose? Okay, yes, I should go talk to this person that I keep making eye contact with at the end of the bar. Like asking yourself, stop slowing down and asking yourself, does this serve my highest purpose? Mm. Then you can have some perspective on what you're considering doing and then act accordingly from there. So hopefully, hopefully that's the tool that, uh, that people can, can tinker with and use right away. Yeah, yeah I also agree that uh, you, one of the, you know, the moments when people do tend to break and they fall off the rails, those moments tend to be accompanied by like high, high amounts of stress and they feel simply so worn out and so taxed and so damaged and drained that you know they're they're simply treating themselves or taking trying to take care of themselves uh, whereas in reality it is simply their brain being hijacked by all these you know stress hormones and uh, literally they feel uh, that they deserve the treat uh, whereas in reality they're simply too stressed out and even all, a lot of the uh, all the you know, physiological diseases and ailments, they are also like very rooted in the stress because kind of stress hijacks your brain. And when you, when, you, when you are in this fight or flight mode, then you literally don't have a lot of resources to spend on the rational thinking and logical thinking, so to say. You, you kind of forget about your goals and you, for, you forget yeah. about the, like I said, is this serving my higher purpose? Is this serving the greatest version of myself? And you kind of make an exception, so to say, just out of subconscious uh, primal urges. And yeah, the way, you, the way you, I would also like go about it is to become more aware of everything you do and to definitely not become too stressed out during the daytime. Yeah, and if you, have, if you slip up, uh, it's okay. <laughs> it's going to happen. Like they're, they're, you're going to make mistakes. You know, it's like if, when you're drinking, uh, you don't realize that your decisions are poor. You know, if you're starting to get drunk, then then you don't realize that you're short circuiting your decision making and that your uh, your judgment is clouded. Same way that if you're stressed out, if you've had a really hard day and you're presented with an opportunity to sort of fail yourself a little bit and and do something that doesn't serve your highest purpose, you don't even really realize that, that your judgment is cloudy and slowing down shoulders down and back and taking a breath just gives you like four and a half seconds to consider whether or not this is a good idea or not. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, what about uh, like making the habit stick, so to say, um, let, you know, a lot of the urges to eat something or the kind of meal timing aspect is also very habitual and people tend to eat something just out of habit and they get hungry during a certain part of the day just out of habit as well. Let's in the example of the intermittent fasting, so to say, if you are forced to skip some certain meals or change the eating window, uh, how would you go about making that the habit or changing the habit routine? Yeah, it just takes a little bit of planning ahead of time. Um, it, it it takes clear communication with the people around you. You know, if you're, it's a lot easier to do. Well, in some ways, it, it, it's if you're a single person and you live alone. Um, it's probably easier to stick to something that you know is important to you. Uh, and in that case, planning on Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon for that week of meals, you know, make four packets of bacon. You know, reheated bacon is actually pretty good. Cold bacon is pretty good. 
you know, making, making, chopping all of the, all of the vegetables that are going to go into your salad for the week, you know, making that a, a ritual, making that a habit on a Sunday afternoon, chopping your vegetables and putting them into, um, you know, different, different containers in the fridge, preparing yourself, setting yourself up uh, for success for that week. That that goes such a long ways because mm. when you're doing that from a place of planning and presence and intention, then that carries a lot more weight than you're at the airport and you have to eat something because you haven't eaten in 16 hours. And uh, geez, you really want those, you know, you really want that trail mix and you can pick out the M&Ms from the trail mix, but you know, you're not gonna, you're going to eat those M&Ms that are in the trail mix, like those little pinch points. Become problems if you don't plan ahead, and then if with with in, in a family situation where you have a spouse or a partner or roommates or something, just communicate to them. You know, um, there's a power in talking to the people around you about what you're planning to do. Like, hey, just so you guys know, I'm trying this thing. Um, well, you could even say it better than that. Just so you guys know, I am doing this thing currently. It's a little bit different. Um, I. I I would appreciate that you didn't hassle me about it. I would appreciate that you didn't eat all the bacon that I'm about to cook, please, this week. Like, leave it alone. And in my case with my family, is um, it's we talk about food a lot. You know, I've got uh, a wife and two kids, and it's important for me to, like, clarify to them, like, daddy's eating only meat this month. Like, <laughs> that's it. So it's a topic of conversation. And they look at me sideways, and when they sit down, like, what, what did we have? Uh, what did we have last night? They had burritos and I just had, I just had ground beef and sour cream. That's, I mean, I had this mountain of ground beef and sour cream and bacon. And that was what I ate last night. And it's a topic of conversation, but it's intentional. It's, it's, it's laid out in the open. And when you plan ahead and talk about it and communicate about it open and openly, then it's like a fun thing that you're doing. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a purpose rather than, you know, like, the scatterbrained, like, oh, crap, now I got to find something to eat. And then that's when you slip up. Mm. Yeah, like a lot of people, a lot of the uh, social pressures and the kind of fear of judgment of other people is also like one of the biggest reasons why people, first of all, they don't start fasting or they don't even go on these very kind of different diets, whether that be keto or carnivore even, because they're like taboo in society and they're completely different from what people are used to hearing from uh, mainstream fitness advice and uh, nutritionists. So yeah, like a, a lot of, I, w- I, would, I would think that a person has to kind of adopt this sort of a mental attitude of indifference towards uh, the opinions yeah. of others as well, because the opinions of others aren't necessarily objectively true. So to say they, the opinions of others, you know, people judging fasting or keto, those things are all rooted in their own kind of pre-judgments or pre pre pre, pre, pre uh, you know, so, so they think that they've heard about these different stories about fasting, how it's dangerous and it's like dogma. And they simply, you know, adopt the same sort of, uh, you know, cautious belief about it. Whereas in reality, if they actually tried it out, then they would, you know, change their own mindset. And the, the, the other people who are doing the fasting or keto for them, then that would also become less, less, you know, dangerous or less fearful. Well, the, and, and the other, yes, absolutely. Uh, everybody's an expert and especially in your world seem where, you know, 
you've got a lot of really smart people that watch your content that are like, hey, this makes sense. This is really great. Thank you very much. And then you have a lot of people that are like, this is, this is stupid and silly. Like, you're not supposed to skip breakfast. Like, it's the most important meal of the day, which was invented by Kellogg's. Who, did you know this fact? You heard this before? Yeah, I've heard something, but you can share yeah. it there. So, so the guy, the guy who created Kellogg's breakfast cereals, uh, James Thomas Kellogg, and another guy um, who were part of the Seventh Day Adventist Church. Maybe, maybe I'm getting my wires crossed. They created that that phrase: "Breakfast is the most important meal of the day" to help sell cereal. And it just so happens that that locked in and now there's generations, at least two generations of people that believe that to be true. Yeah. And, um, and it's not. And the other thing, uh, you know, even above and beyond that, being impervious to other people's opinions and influence over you um, is that, you know, unfortunately, and again, and this is, this is coming from a place of understanding from, from a life coach and a performance coach, is that people don't necessarily want you to succeed. <laughs> even the people closest to you, like your best friend may not be that comfortable with you having a six pack. Mm. Your, your friends from, from university or high school or your coworkers, they don't really want to see you thrive because it calls into question their life and whether or not they're living right and whether or not they're making the right decisions. And it sucks. And it's not, you know, it's not something that, that, that people like to think about, but there's a lot of people in your life right now that pretend that they want to see you do well and they really don't and it sucks but it's true so when someone says you know what why are you doing this like why can't you just have a beer with me why can't you why, why are you being so weird why don't you just have a beer with me it's like because because you're dragging me down like let me not have a beer don't make this weird let me I'm, like i'm a big boy let me make my own choices you know do you experience that yourself Seem? Uh, yeah, I've had you know similar experiences in the past. So, for instance, um, when I after after uh, or during during my college years, I stopped drinking alcohol altogether. And uh, around that time, I did I, still, I did get like some you know questions about okay, why why aren't you drinking anymore and uh, what's going on, so to say. And it did kind of at first create some sort of a not necessarily like turmoil or competition or anything like that, but it's still like. And it's raised eyebrows, and uh, it it brought up some questions. So I th I think that that's one of the part of reasons why a lot of people get stuck in that vicious cycle as well. They keep drinking, and they develop the, they keep uh, imprinting those same patterns and same habits into their brain. And later in life, it becomes much more difficult to break them. But I was kind of you know I had enough, let's say perseverance <laughs> to break through and to ignore the criticism and uh, do my own thing, so to say. Yeah, it's, it's, it's real pressure. And, and, you know, we go through these phases of growth in our life and keto, eating ketogenically, doing intermittent fasting, you know, uh, tracking your biology in the way that you advocate for so frequently is about the most productive thing you can do. Yeah. It's about the most um, uh, self-affirming, um, healthy thing that you can possibly do. And when other people try to when other people try to mess with that and distract you from it, um, it tells you a lot about where they're at. It tells you a lot about your relationship with them because if you're like, "Hey, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to. Sorry, I'm not going to have some. I'm not going to have cake today because I, right. I'm doing a thing. You know, that's not the way I'm eating." And they make you feel bad about it. It's like, dude, grow up. Yeah. Like uh, that social pressure is very real. 
And, and one thing, one thing, <clears throat> if you choose to, and again, like I, I want to make sure that in this conversation, I'm giving people tools as much as I can. You know, when someone says, you know, why are you being so weird? Why can't we just go get a beer together? Like what, like this is, why are you being weird? You can ask them an open-ended question, which gets them to actually think and verbalize and talk about what they're going through. And it deflects what the, the it defect, deflects the pressure a little bit. So asking a question like uh, when someone says, uh, like, why, why are you being so weird? Like, why can't we get a go get a beer like we always do? You could say to them, why is it so important to you that we go drink a beer right now? And then Drop don't say anything. Yeah. Just wait. See what they say. See what they say. They may say, well, this is what we always do. This is how we connect. Hmm. They may say, I've, I've had a really hard day. I really want to go drink some beer. They may say, uh, there's a girl there I want to I, I go, go talk to. There may be a million reasons why they're putting so much pressure on you. But then you can clarify like, what's going on for them. And then it's about hmm. them and their stuff. It's no longer about you making healthy choices. It's about them and their own sort of psychological states, which deflects back to them. Because if they say, well, this is what we always do, then you can say, well, let's go for a walk instead. Mm-hmm. Like, let's go, let's go drink matcha and walk. Or let's go, you know, let's go do a yoga class instead mm-hmm. of going and drinking 20 beers. And so when, when you are not the person who's bananas – you're being very sane. You're making really positive choices and lifestyle choices that are going to benefit you in the long run and make you live a long time and be happy and more, you know, more vibrant. When you can turn it around on them and ask them why this is so important to you, then it opens up the conversation to have something, a meaningful, a meaningful conversation around what's going on. I hope, I hope people try that because yeah. asking others an open-ended question is like, Dude, this is not my thing. Yeah. Like, something's going on for you. What's yeah. up with you? Even if it doesn't work in uh, breaking the peer pressure, then it, re- it may still work in a sense of uh, forcing the other person to start actually thinking about it. Okay, why do we actually go drink beers? Like, <laughs> like most, most of the time, people think it, take it for granted, so to say. They automatically do it without actually having to think about it. And they haven't gone through some you know, self-inquiry and analysis of their own habits and seeing what kind of routines they follow. So the the other person may be simply again falling into the trap of following certain habits and trying to live up to the expectations of other people, and yeah, that's that's some another thing. Another thing, like I would say that you shouldn't never be like weird about it. You don't never want to be anxious about the fact that you're trying to change your habits and trying to be healthier. So to say, if you if you are very weird about it. And you're actually, yeah. you know, showing signs of, you know, some anxiety or some actual, like you're, you're, like you're feeling worse about not doing it, then you're setting yourself up for failure and you're sell, setting yourself up for more criticism, so to say, the, the kind of the bully or the other person will gain more vigor and more enthusiasm to keep on poking at you, so to say. If you, if you own it, if you actually say, yeah, like, I don't really want to drink beer and you actually hold up to it, then the other person won't have like additional reasons to keep on uh, poking you yeah and it's not your job to help them i mean if they're your good friend you know that's debatable it's not your job to teach them what keto is it's not it's not your job to explain intermittent fasting or it's not your job to um necessarily help them grow so you don't need to you don't need to be their parents about it but if you're strong in your resolve, just like you said, if you're, if you're confident in the choices that you're making, 
and you say, hey, this is the choice that I'm making. This is what I'm doing. It's, if, if it's weird, it's weird. It's just what I'm doing. Uh, let's, you know, yeah. <laughs> deal with it. Or, or just deal with it. Some, We're adults. Yeah, or just get some new friends eventually. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. right. And, that, and that, that's, have you had to do that in your life? Have you had to go through a process of getting new friends? And not not necessarily like I still stay in contact with all my old friends and I do I do like very close with them but I'm simply maybe not that frequently socializing with them so so, so to say our lives have simply gone apart a little bit but we we are not like we're, we don't hate each other or we're, yeah. we're still close and we still you know get in touch and such but we still have like we, it's simply like we have like other things to do and we have our own uh, kind of chores and routines yeah but 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 you mentioned that you also have like ch children and a uh, wife so how would you go about maybe trying to guide them guide them in a more healthy direction with their habits and routines the the first and foremost is to just show them you know kids listen a little but they copy a lot and if you're uh saying one thing and doing another let's eat healthy let's eat healthy let's eat pizza that's confusing as shit like that's that's, uh, th that's, that's confusing. And so uh, the first thing, you know, like I make a point of exercising in front of my kids. You know, I make a point of, of involving my children in the cooking process and helping them, helping prepare meals. You know, like we have, uh, uh, we have dull knives that, that, where they can chop soft stuff to, to, to allow them to bring them into this, uh, this, this lifestyle of, of eating healthily, you know. Um, and then the other thing is just not having stuff around. Like my wife, she was compelled to make cookies last night. She did. And, um, they'll eat a couple of them, but we're going to throw away or give away probably most of them. But, uh, it's that you lead by example. And, you know, uh, one thing that I, that I found is important is, um, starting the day with protein, mm. making sure that your kids learn to love eggs and bacon and not all do you know like my 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 daughter must have ketchup with her eggs and so she gets like four little drops of ketchup with her eggs um and uh, we have bacon probably three or four days a week we have like turkey sausage another couple of days in the week so starting them off with with protein in the morning really helps and uh and satiates them for for at least the first couple hours of the day unfortunately at school you know it's it's set up for failure because you know we're we're in this paradigm of needing a snack snack time snack time like juice yeah. like chips <laughs> crackers every two hours and it's terrible yeah. and um and so it's to a certain extent it's it, it, some of it is unavoidable unavoidable while they're at school but in general um, starting them off with protein, showing them like this is making making these sorts of choices, uh, way less sugar than we used to do, um, uh, way less snacking than we used to do. You know, it's it's not easy to tell your kids like, no, don't eat that. You know, wait. You know, you're going to spoil your dinner. But important that they have an appetite when they sit down to eat an actual dinner that uh, that's that's nutrient dense, that's going to help their little brains develop, and it's going to help their uh, their bodies grow. And so, you know, same thing. We talk about food a lot in my house. We talk about what goes into a kale shake. We talk about, you know, what pieces of the steak taste the best. We talk about, we talk about it all the time because I'm hopefully instilling them with 
principles and, and approaches to food, you know, because besides today eating eating the carnivore diet for this month of January, um, I technically typically eat uh, ketogenic eighty twenty. Mm-hmm. Have for the last probably three or four years. You know, I was big on cheat days there for a while, and then those sort of went away and went away um, because I, I feel like I wasn't 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 doing what I thought they would do. And so my kids don't get a ton of sugar. They do get a bowl of cereal on Saturday mornings while I wake up and watch the English Premier League. You know, I watch three or four soccer games, not three or four soccer games, but a, but a soccer game or two um, on Saturday and Sunday mornings. And so they'll have some cereal and watch soccer with me, but, but that's followed usually shortly by bacon and eggs. So yeah, just talking about it and then um, leading by example are the, are the two, two most powerful things. And my wife, she sort of has begrudgingly become keto too. Like sure, she's got a crazy sweet tooth. She loves baked goods. She loves candy. But now, you know, we've, I've been eating and cooking in this way for such a long time that, uh, that she's changed the way that she has eaten sort of slowly and naturally without having to like press her on it. Yeah, I think like the most important thing is to uh, allow the children to develop their own intu- intuitive way of eating and uh, to yeah, guide them in the right direction of uh, avoiding all snacking and sort of this you know, crazy sugar binging and such. And definitely those <laughs> breakfast cereals are literally the worst things that you could feed your children because they don't have like a lot of nutrients and they're also setting them up for like few, more of these hunger cravings down the line. Like if you literally eat like cereal for breakfast, then you, you're guaranteed to get hungry within the next few hours again. And, you know, it's going to keep the sort of a sugar burning cycle burning throughout the entire day versus if you had like good quality protein and some, you know, healthy fats, then you're satiated for much longer and you actually know, you actually get hungry when you're physiologically more hungry versus not, you know, craving for some random uh, more sugar cravings. Yeah, intuitive nutrition. Yeah, yeah, so it's true, yeah. Uh, so, but uh, what, what kind of other biohacks do you do on a daily basis besides meditation and uh, these uh, things we talked about already? Yeah. So I do, I have, uh, I have a low EMF infrared sauna in my house in the garage uh, that I use probably four, four or five nights a week. Um, it's part of my evening routine. And uh, what I do is, you know, in the evening time, about an hour before bedtime, uh, I will turn on the infrared sauna, let it heat up, you know, uh, the infrared saunas don't get as hot as like barrel saunas. So it's like 145 degrees to my garage. And, um, yeah, I spend uh, at least 20 minutes, uh, when I do a sauna session and up to 40, um, each time. And again, because, <clears throat> you know, unlike a barrel sauna, uh, the infrared saunas are at like 145, you can, you can take 145, even if you're, you know, dripping sweat it's not that hot mm. um versus like a you know 160 170 and higher 180 like a barrel sauna so i do that you know th- four nights a week on nights that i'm not going to be doing sauna um i'll go drive you know 25 minutes to go do a float session so i still you still do float tanks to be just in the evening time because that's how my that's how my schedule works i'll, I'll go do um uh, a one hour float session probably once or twice a week at least it helps me organize my thoughts it's also part of uh, my spiritual practice and my my ability to connect deeply within myself so i do 
I do that a couple of nights a week. You know, I've got, I don't think I'm, I have them with me, but I have, um, uh, I have blue blocking glasses that I wear at night. Um, uh, on the Optimal Performance Podcast, we had Matt Maruka from Raw Optics, R-A, as in uh, the Egyptian sun god Raw Raw Optics. They're the best. They're the best blue blocking glasses on the market. They they block the most blue. You can actually test them. They're insane. They look really cool. Actually, that was the other problem too. Is like I wanted a pair of shades that looked cool that I could wear and not look like a dork. Uh, a dork anyway, but you know. Um, so yeah, blue blocking glasses in the evening time after the sun goes down, you know, and since I talked to Matt, um, he, he's introducing what's called the light diet, which is watching the sunrise every morning and watching the sunset every night, never wearing sunglasses, allowing the light to get into your eyeballs um, so that you can hmm. do the physiological uh, mechanisms of making water and using the sunlight to, uh, to make your own water uh, inside your body. Um, so I, so I've been doing that. I mean, how far do you want to go? I do, uh, I do, I do some acupuncture every once in a while. Um, a friend of mine is this really, uh, fascinating guy. He's, he's been doing like bone stacking and reorienting his bones and he's like watching him do his thing. It's crazy. He just goes to like move his body around and like all these bones snap and, and pop in his body. Um, I do a lot of breath work. I do, I do cold showers after the saunas. And then above and beyond that, you know, this sort of more fringe stuff is, um, you know, microdosing um, various substances, uh, quarterly mm. psychedelic shamanism mm. uh, to, to really tap into my potential and to um, the spiritual aspect of myself, which is, which is something that is, that's really important to me. Um, I do some inversion tabling occasionally. I don't have one, but a friend of mine does. So I just go over to his house and hang upside down for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the other biohacks. Do, 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 uh, do you yeah. have like, you, do you get some cold in where you live? How cold does it get? It's cold. It's, um, it's 35 degrees Fahrenheit right now outside. Um, you know, up here in Seattle, it's, it's, fairly, it's fairly temperate. When the wintertime, it'll probably get a little cold. It'll get in the high 20s. Um, low 30s over the course of probably the next month or so and so um, yeah um, I'll take cold showers after the sauna sessions but I also make it a point to go um, occasionally if I wake up scattered I'll go stand outside barefoot in the grass with a you know with the frosty with the frosty grass um, um, but I also do my, my family get out and we hike a lot. So at least once or twice a week, we'll go out for a couple hour hike uh, just to get out in the woods, to get out of uh, EMF ranges and, and, and ground out and do some forest bathing to, to connect with, with Gaia a little bit, which I think grounding is, is obviously a pretty important thing for a lot of us. Right. Right. Um, yeah. That's, you know, the, <laughs> it's a holistic thing. So to say that inc- includes a lot of, you know, not only like physical development, but also like psychological, the spiritual and such. And for everyone else, it may, it may have like a different type of meaning and different type of goals. So yeah, it's a, like a very all encompassing in a sense that it can be applied to all areas of your life and all the results will kind of appear in everything else you do as well in your like sleep, in your uh, physique, in your cognitive powers, in your relationship with the family, and the way you kind of process uh, the world around you, not only like your own thoughts, but also like the interactions between other people, all of those things can be benefited. 
by you know starting to take care more care of yourself and in a sense getting back more in touch with yourself as well as the natural body and getting back in touch with the nature around you as well yeah i <clears throat> the, way, the way that i think about it is is sort of in four categories which is your mind which is a vast category your body uh your spirit and the work you do if those four things if you're optimizing for those four categories of your life meditation through nootropics and your mind and your body with the keto uh fasting feeding it the right nutrients that it needs you know a spiritual practice even if you're not even if you're agnostic or atheist like there is a non-physical element to to you and I, that's undeniable and so if you are in touch with the non-physical aspects of your body um on one end of the spectrum and on the far end of the spectrum is you know a deep spiritual practice that's really important to you uh and everybody's looks different uh if you're nourishing that part of you which i think that i think that for most people that is the thing that's failing their life more than anything else is like a spiritual practice even if it's just like gratitude mm. gratitude is like training wheels for a spiritual practice because it's just like hey i feel thankful i'm happy that i am alive i'm happy that i can talk to people i'm happy that like my, my my bones are broken and i don't have cancer like i'm i'm grateful and thankful for that that's that's sort of like a ramp up baby steps toward toward a spiritual uh, awareness and then the work like how do you spend your time how do you pay the bills are you nourishing that are you optimizing for that i i'm i'm keenly aware of those four aspects of my life and that's become a main point of some of the messages that I try to give to other people too is to just mind those four things and 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 make sure that they're working synergistically and and your life will improve really quickly. Mm. Yeah, it's it's it is yeah quite quite fascinating, and I would imagine that you doing the podcast and doing the coaching and such, then you are already kind of living, or you're surrounded by so, so all of these topics all the time. So it is much easier for you to stick to it as well because you kind of getting the positive influence all around you. Yeah. Yeah. I made a choice, you know, at 28 to leave a really high paying sales job and open a float center. Like yeah. I, I decided then that no, I'm not going to live this life. I can't hack it here in a cubicle. I'm not meant to sit at a desk and stare at a screen all day. I can't do it. No judgment on people that, that feel like they need to do it, but I cannot do it. It's, it's not for me. So I made the choice at 28 to uh, open the most, literally the most obscure service business you can possibly imagine uh, and, and follow the rabbit down the hole yeah. and open a float center and then start to, you know, uh, tinker around with the racetams to figure out how my brain works and explore nootropics and meditate more and do, you know, um, shamanic ceremonies and to follow that. And then, you know, fast forward, um, you know, fast forward six years later, I found a way through developing my, my ability to listen to my heart and listen to my inner voice and, and to prime my subconscious mind that this is what I'm interested in. This is my life. Like I sold the float centers a couple of months ago because I wanted to double down on this stuff. I wanted to devote more time and more attention to uh, coaching, to content creation. So, because yeah, it's, it's, 
it's a lifestyle and it's what I'm interested in. And I made a conscious effort to make it what I do every day. It's the same way that you do, man. Like I, I want to make this what I want to make this how I live my life. And it may change, you know, I may, I may, may want to do something else in a couple of years that has nothing to do with um, biohacking. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a journey, so to say, and it's, uh, it's never an end journey. You, have to, you just have to keep on walking the path. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been a great talking with you, Sean, and I would imagine that a lot of people gained definitely a lot of practical tips from it. Uh, but before I ask my last question, uh, where can people learn more about you and your work? Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate that. Uh, you can find me at seanmccormick.com. It's S-E-A-N-M-C-C-O-R-M-I-C-K.com. You can find me on Instagram at uh, Coach Sean McCormick. On Twitter, it's Sean Evolver, which is a weird spelling, S-E-A-N-Y-V-O-L-V-E-R. And um, yeah, the podcast is the Optimal Performance Podcast. You can go to optimalperformance.com. Uh, and you can listen to uh, my interview with Seam and uh, it's biohacking and performance and there's books coming soon. Um, I also just rolled out daily memes uh, in those four categories that I just talked about, mind, body, spirit, and work. And so, uh, yeah, um, thanks for giving me the opportunity to plug that. Yeah, it's a, it's a great show and I really enjoy the guests that you're bringing on as well. Uh, but my last question is, uh, what's this one piece of advice or a habit you wish you adopted sooner that improved your body and your mind? I should have, I should have put some thought into that because I figured you probably would have asked that. Uh, it's, it's skipping meals, frankly. Um, <laughs> okay. It really is. Uh, I, I, I was born a chubby kid. I've been a chubby kid. Um, I, um, I had poor nutrition. I didn't have poor nutrition growing up. I had not optimal nutrition growing up. And I found that when I began to skip meals, I was clearer, I was faster, I was leaner, and it, and it permeated everything I did in my life. It really did change not only my physique, but it changed my mentality. Mm. And uh, it was the smartest thing to do was to start skipping breakfast. Nice. Um, and I suggest anybody that, that wants to make that change, if they're not already, um, start skipping meals. Right, yeah, and not, not be afraid of it, so to say. Try, try it out. Yeah, try it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, yeah, thanks for coming to the podcast and uh, had a good time talking with you. So uh, I'll probably looking forward to seeing you in the uh, future sometime as well. Yeah, we'll link back up, man. Thanks, team. All right, that's it for this episode of the Body, Mind and Format podcast. If you want to support us, then I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes and the other social media platforms. You can now order my new book, Metabolic Autophagy, that covers a lot of the same topics that we talked in here. It's a collection of certain lifestyle habits and practices that prioritize longevity as well as performance. To support this podcast, you can also become a Patreon and get exclusive video lectures from my biohacking bootcamp that covers circadian rhythms, intermittent fasting, autophagy, resistance training, biofeedback, and many more. But other than that, my name is Seem. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.